Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting. Welcome to Bakersfield Observe with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the new Bakersfield Observe podcast, recorded right here at the American General Media studios off California Avenue and Highway 99. As a reminder, this podcast airs weekly, and it will complement the work of the Baker's My Bakersfield Observe blog, which has been around going on 15 plus years. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you access your podcast, or you can get it on currentradio.com. Look, the idea behind this thing is simple. Let's provide a forum for our community, the Bakersfield community, to gather to discuss some of the many issues that confront us today and tomorrow and the next day. Today, we are welcoming back to the studio Dr. Richard Gearhart, a professor of economics at CSUB and a regular on the Richard Bean Show, the old radio show, for several years. Right, Dr. Gearhart? Yeah, I think about three. That's excellent. Great to have you back, sir. Thanks. I know where I kind of stand in your hierarchy of friends. I'm 10th. Oh, at least 10th, at least 10th, 10th there you episode. Go. There you go. Well, yeah, number one in my heart, of course. Look, Dr. Gearhart, thanks. Thanks for coming back. I enjoy having you because you always kind of tell it as, as it is straight. I'm at a point here where I'm lost, right? I thought, okay, Gearhart's coming in. I want to talk a little bit about kind of where we are with this economy. I look at us. We've come through the pandemic. We're about to go in the fourth wave again. Masks are either coming back or they're not coming back. I am shocked that this is still as big of an issue as it is in this in, in, in this country. Uh, we got the midterm elections coming up. California is facing a recall. We got a lot of action in Congress about for this new, the new stimulus package or the infrastructure package. Uh, a lot is up in the air. I'm going to point here, Dr. Gearhart. I'm like, I'm not even sure. I am less certain about the direction of this country and what our answers are going to be about some of the issues than, than I've been in a long time. And I didn't think I'd say that uh, coming after the election of President Biden. Where are we? And, and is, is this setting any kind of historic precedent here? Of yeah. Uncertainty? It's it's a weird place. Um and, you know, the cynic in me says a lot of the uncertainty is, I think, you know, politicians capitalizing on the fact that the 2022 midterms are just a toss up. And like, you know, the cynic in me would say, well, why are all these, um, you know, Republican senators or Republican governors not instituting ma- mask mandates? Because you know who's going to get dinged mm-hmm. by um, higher COVID numbers? It's going to be the president and mm-hmm. the Democratic Party because they're the ones running the country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it, 
I don't. It seems us. Everything is up in the air. Let, let, you mentioned the midterms. Let's, let, let's stay right there. This is Kevin McCarthy's big gamble, right? It really is. After January 6th, he, I mean, it, it, my my interpretation is he laid it down and, and it, look, this is important. I'm going to I'm going to negotiate myself and side myself with uh, President Trump and some of his ally, ex-President Trump and some of his allies because I want to return to the House to to the Republicans. What, what are the odds of that happening? I think they're pretty high. Um, if you look at the Republicans, I mean, right after January 6th, the number of House Republicans came out and condemned President Trump for what happened on mm -hmm. that day. And you've seen them kind of walk back their statements or try to reconcile mm -hmm. with the president. And that's one thing Republicans do very well. Republicans kind of work in lockstep very well, except for a couple of outliers, Kinzinger and Cheney, mm -hmm. who have you know, kind of been almost quasi-exiled from the party. Right. If you look at the Democrats, you have the liberals fighting with the moderates, where um, what happened in Ohio, where you had um, two women who were both accomplished, um, one a Bernie supporter and one a Biden supporter, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of money pumped into that where the race was a lot closer and the moderate won. And now, you know, the left freaked out and said, you know, you don't want to join us. Do we read too much into these single elections about kind of greater consequences than we might think? I mean, or, I mean, is, is that, does, that, does that mean anything that the moderates won? I don't think so. I, I think it just kind of speaks to the disarray in the Democratic Party. It's, you know, the moderates and the liberals really aren't in lockstep. Look at what happened with the eviction moratorium. Right. You know, Biden said he didn't have any legal capacity to extend it. He was right. The CDC mm -hmm. didn't have any legal capacity to extend it. They were probably right. Then, you know, AOC and the squad and um, who was the uh, was it Corey Bush who camped out? Corey Bush, right. Uh, on right. the house, you mm -hmm. know, to, to kind of showcase what it's like to be homeless, which is important, you know, good right. for her for actually following through. But then all of a sudden Biden doesn't about face and says, challenge it in court. We'll give them a couple of extra weeks, a couple of extra right. months. Right. So I, I think the Republicans have a really good chance of taking back. Uh, the House in 2022, um, the and, Democrats. And let me, let me ask you this, Dr. Gerhardt, talking to Dr. Richard Gerhardt, CSUB, an economics professor. If, if K-Mac is right and, and he helps orchestrate the return to, of the House to the Republican side and he becomes a speaker, that aside, uh, is, does, does that... Is that a redeemable moment for all the criticism that KMAC has come in for defending, for not being harder on this January 6th incident? Do the ends justify the means in this case? Is he is he going to come out of this saying, well, certainly I guess with the Republicans they'll say, well, what the hell? I don't know. You know, good, good, good for you, right? Yeah, you know, the— I think he probably will come out a little bit ahead in terms of the eyes of the Republicans. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, I, I think House Speaker of the House, Majority Speaker of the House is kind of the pinnacle of his career. Yeah. He doesn't have the policy chops to really go into the Senate. Well, it's California, so he wouldn't right. have any chance to go into the Senate. I don't think he really has any chance for any, you know, federally elected office, mm -hmm. um, vice president or any secretary level position. So I think this is kind of the pinnacle of his career returning mm -hmm. it. Um, and I think, you know, his message is we have to be very careful about 
policies that are being proposed on the left. And you look every day, the Washington Post has stories about eviction moratoriums and all of these other policies, you know, enhancements to the infrastructure bill. Um, and so the lack of action on the border. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think um, I, I, you know, I always prefer a divided government, one where, you know, the president is one right. party and then the Senate and the House. On all that yeah, power. it, it right. makes sense because now we've diluted the policies at the federal government level so much that simple majorities can pass a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't want to see them expand the Supreme Court or pack the Supreme Court. I have issues with the Supreme Court anyway, mm-hmm. having jobs for life. You have 90-year-old mm-hmm. people. They lose their mental acuity. You know, <laughs> it's just, That's, I'm sorry. And like, they don't they don't strike me as, you know, shining beacons of intelligence. They strike me as partisan political yeah. players who are attempting to act objective. We know they're not. So I, 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 you know, isn't that too bad? Yeah. That we have to take that for granted. right? It it really is bad that it's just, everything is so hyper partisan now Mm. that you can't have a dinner conversation about anything, you know, and and you can see it in kind of the recall election. Um, You know, they had the Republican debate last night and. Uh, could you talk about four less inspiring major candidates to, you know, counter Gavin Newsom and what well, we're seeing? I, I want to hold the thought on 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 the recall because I want to get back to that. What that because it's two parts. You you got to elect them out, and then you got to yeah. elect a successor, and which is the, the, the second part seems the hard the harder part than that. But get back to the kind of where we are with it. My uncertainty here, but I it's hard for me to tell where the country is. I hear these things. I, I see I see everybody position themselves for the midterms. The border issue, the mask issue. These are some hot button, really emotionally charged issues. Not with everybody, but, but with a lot of people. But it's hard for me to tell, Dr. Gearhart, how much that's going to affect Biden and the Democrats. I think it'll affect them tremendously. If you look at the average voter, the average voter is a single plank voter. They vote on one issue Mm -hmm. and they vote based on their short term memory. I mean, look, Biden's getting killed for inflation in this country right now. But the inflation was just from the second quarter of 2021. Biden's been in office for Mm -hmm. what, five months Mm -hmm. now? That's Trump inflation. That's all the poly, you know, inflation takes about 12 to 18 months to manifest to manifest itself in the economy. But, you know, the Democrats, again, they suffer from their messaging. They're not doing a good job trying to convince voters, hey, it's, you know, the two rounds of stimulus, the two rounds of PPP, the massive government spending from the Trump administration. Yeah, mm-hmm. in addition to ours, we're going to have future inflation from what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a little bit problematic is that. The voters are so just short-sighted, or, and, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. They just have very short memories. Yeah. So they're looking at all of this economic news. They're looking at jobs. You can't find workers for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, inflation. You know, it sucks trying to get certain goods. And I think, you know, when the Republicans start talking— Hey, you said if we got vaccinated, we could get off of masks. Mm -hmm. I think you're hitting a lot of hot button issues right now for Republicans. And as you mentioned, this mask issue is huge. 
it's not here's here's my it's not huge for me i don't like to wear these masks i really don't they you know i i, I don't like to wear them but i will if you ask me if I'm going to go in your establishment or your movie theater or wherever, and you ask me to put on a mask, I don't have a problem. I'll wear it. I mean, I, I'm not one of these, you know, those guys. But at the same time, this thing is huge. This, this, and how is that going to play out? Because you see it kind of, you see, isn't Florida Governor DeSantis kind of emerging as one of the central Republican voices opposed to, to Biden in, on the mask policy. Yeah, you know? um, him and uh, Governor Abbott, I think, yeah. are you know positioning themselves for potential 2024 presidential bids. I think those will be the two big players. And, you know, you're playing— it's a stark divide. Democrats, you know, Democrats will wear the masks. Mm -hmm. Republicans, you know, if— businesses mandate it some will wear it some won't and it's become a political hot button issue and you know it, it's one of those things where again the messaging from the cdc has been so subpar during a pandemic what the hell has gone on with the cdc i'm old enough and i grew up in atlanta where the centers for disease control has been located since the beginning the cdc in my world at my age in my generation was always a non-political, just the facts, a scientific institution. That's changed, hasn't it? Isn't yeah. It? I, I mean, you know, if you look at any scientists, mm -hmm. any good scientist worth his salt is political. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're kind of seeing the manifestation of that. Um, and I think a big issue is, you know, the CDC tries to talk the facts, but they have scientists who do have sometimes an agenda and who aren't the best public speakers. They need to hire a snake oil salesman. Mm -hmm. They need to modify this down into single sentence pitches to the American public. Mm -hmm. And they screwed up initially when they said, hey, don't wear masks. And I understand the reasoning behind that. Mm -hmm. Then they, oh, double mask and then don't mask. And now it's, well, you probably should mask again. You know, there's yeah. science yeah. behind all of it, and, you know, people can debate the merits of the science behind it, but they've just done such a terrible job of their messaging. I totally agree. They've yeah. opened—I would argue that it's probably going to be the CDC who's a central player in the Democrats losing the House. Wow, that, that's, that, that's a good prediction. Is it, is it possible for— is it even feasible that that any state, much less California, could go back to a lockdown or so, or a, a mask mandate? So, I, given the politics of it, I, I think you know in certain areas, um, I think you will see mask mandates again um, statewide. I think Arkansas will be an interesting test case because Asa Hutchinson, their governor. Mm -hmm basically lamented the fact that they banned mask mandates. Back. Yeah, now they back. want to go back, yeah. but they have to either make their previous law unconstitutional or convene <laughs> a special session. And, you know, we, yeah. we've now, with the Texas Democrats fleeing Texas, we now have yeah. kind of a template for what Arkansas Republicans can do if they don't want to vote for it. Uh -huh. um, 
at least in California, I, we're not going to have a mandate. And the reason is the recall election. It's I all think about the recall. Yeah, isn't and it? Yeah. Newsom, I think, is sweating that. So I can see local areas maybe mandating it. Yeah. That's the way it probably should have been handled yeah. initially, not the stupid California colored tier system that really didn't work during the height of the pandemic, you know, but New York city mandating it, um, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara County now just announced that they're mandating it. That's fine and well, you know, those are local representative democracies Mm -hmm. statewide. I have a hard time Mm -hmm. seeing any politician who wants to continue their political career reimposing strict lockdown yeah. measures. Oh, I just, I, I, and again, forget about the science. I mean, forget, I mean, just politically, I think it's impossible. It I is. don't think you can go back there. No, yeah. and you know, maybe what I could see governors doing who would be amenable to reimposing the lockdowns would be maybe trying to nudge uh, unions or employers in their state to mandate vaccines as a condition for employment. I could see a lot of that going behind the scenes because, you know, you've seen it in California where Kaiser announced and then a couple of other major health systems announced and then Los Angeles announced that all of their workers would have to be vaccinated. So I could see that being kind of the new lockdown saying, hey, listen, we'll give you these tax incentives. We'll give you tax breaks. We'll do something to where if you impose, you know, vaccinations, we don't have to do these lockdowns, which are political. There is not a legal question, uh, whether we can, we can force people to wear masks. I guess maybe, maybe that surprised me given all the other civil liberties we have in this country and having dealt with an HR department in a corporate setting for a long time, I would be loathe to think that we could we could actually do that, you know. But apparently we can because Facebook did it, Google, you name, name some other things. There's no legal issue on that? Yeah. On masks or vaccines? Masks. Well, actually, masks and vaccines. I meant to say vaccines. Yeah, Sorry. so yeah. vaccines, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how it's HIPAA. And it's not HIPAA. HIPAA is just, you know, your doctor can't tell your employer that you're vaccinated. It has right. to be you. But um, employers have the ability, as long as they don't violate the Americans with Disabilities Act, employers have the ability to make something as a condition of employment, which is a little bit of a political switch because Mm -hmm. a lot of states in this country have at-will employment where employers can fire you for pretty much any reason. I think 42 states have at-will employment. And it used to be Democrats hated at-will employment because you should give workers a reason why you're firing them. And Republicans... You know, championed it as free market mechanisms. Right. Well, now Republicans are like, well, you know, employers shouldn't have the ability to mandate vaccines, right. and Democrats are like, yes, isn't that yes? If you know, so it's just one of these political three sixties where I'm sitting there looking, going, wait a second, it depends on where you're sitting. Yeah, I, yeah, and you know, I I see these employer mandates as the free market mechanism. It's you know, it, it's not overt government involvement. It's employers who are deciding, you know, employers have decided prerequisites, you know, education credentials, training credentials, experience credentials. There are certain health credentials, you know, certain jobs have, you have to be able to lift 25 to 50 pounds as a condition of employment. So once the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Opportunity Committee Committee Commission decided that it was legal, I think that kind of- Yeah, because it's 
it goes back to a 1970s economic theory by Gary Becker from Chicago, which was the economics of discrimination. He argued that you didn't need anti-discrimination policy because people that wanted to work for discriminatory firms would work there. People who didn't want to work for discriminatory (laughs) firms or not shop at them would work at those firms. And so the same holds for, you know, vaccine mandates. If an employer has a strong feeling about it, he'll attract employees who feel the same way. Interesting. Huh. So yeah, I I don't see it as a, I I don't see it as a legal question anymore. Um, You know, I, I think we have to be careful that this doesn't turn into mandating every possible that like flu vaccines or right. those sorts Where of things. Where does that go? That's the whole, you know, you got healthcare your, your nose yeah. under the tent. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know, it, there's always the potential for that slippery slope, but you know, again, the whole idea is that the free market would kind of halt that. I'm really hesitant about the federal government mandating for everyone vaccines. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm pro-vax, proudly pro-vax, um, enrolled my daughters in the clinical trials for mm. the vaccines. You did, I did. really? I did my wife? So and they, I, your daughters are how old? Uh, one is eighteen, just turned eighteen months, and the other just turned six. And they've both been vaccinated. They have not. So oh. we enrolled. So they just completed phase one of the trials for children under the age of twelve. Mm. And what phase one is they did different doses, different levels of doses. Mm -hmm. So less strong vaccines to see if maybe that would reduce some of the adverse side effects that you saw in the teens. So we've enrolled our daughters for phase two and phase three. Mm. Um, We haven't been informed yet if they've been accepted into the trial, but uh, if they would, we would drive them down to LA and Excellent. We, we wouldn't know if they'd have the vaccine or not. They could technically they could get, get the placebo. placebo right. So we'd have to act like they didn't have yeah, the vaccine. Yeah, right. But at the end of the trial, you'll find out we would find out. And then they would get the vaccine immediately as oh. long as it was safe. If that, okay. And how long is the trial? I think they're talking about for ages five to 12 Early 2022 is okay. when the results will okay. be, right. and probably middle of next year for oh, cool. the young Exciting. Woman. Yeah, so. Well done. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not an anti—I took the vaccine willingly. I would take a booster shot willingly. Now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm over 65, so that puts me in the age. And on the other hand, I would encourage anybody to get the vaccine, but I don't really have a problem with people who don't. I probably have more of a problem with the reasons they cite or some kind of, you know, something they read somewhere, which is bogus. But I'm a much, I'm, I'm enough of a libertarian to believe that, okay, if you don't want to do it, don't do it, you know? Yeah, and um, yeah. actually, I think, you know, um, what, what we've kind of discovered is that a lot of vaccine hesitancy goes away once people go to their doctors and their doctors explain the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know of doctors who have, or providers who have said, I've gotten the shot. I would give it to my daughters and people who were on the fence about the vaccine then say, well, can I have it? 
So I, I think a lot of vaccine hesitancy is just they haven't gone to their primary care physicians or their trusted healthcare providers mm-hmm. and had that frank discussion. And there's so much disinformation out on, you know, yeah. Facebook where, you know, the University of Google told me that, you know, XYZ is true and a lot of people right, believe right. it. So yeah, I, I'm more on the libertarian side of that. Actually, um, a friend of mine who is at the Mercatus Center out in Washington, D.C., which is a prominent libertarian think tank, um, argued with me against a federal man, uh, vaccine mandate. Oh, okay. You know, I, I again, I would love to see 100 percent of the yeah, population yeah, yeah. vaccinated, right, right. but the federal government should not be doing it. Well, the State Biden administration says 70 percent of American adults have received at least one vaccine. Does that sound that right yeah, right, about yeah. a month after their projections, uh, which I think equates to about fifty nine percent of the country as a whole. Uh-huh. Which you know, again, I wish it would be higher, but we're creeping there slowly. The only worry is you know the Delta variant that came out that's the most infectious since chickenpox, and the mm. I remember getting chickenpox as a kid. Yeah. And I remember just, I was itchy and I had to take those oatmeal baths, which was the word, it was, you know, (laughs) you're taking a bath and just this slurry and you're just like, oh, this doesn't feel comfortable. Right. And, you know, now, now kids are vaccinated against uh, chicken pox, so they don't necessarily have to worry about it. But, um, you know, I'm worried about the Delta variant. My wife is incredibly worried about the Delta variant. Yeah. but you know we're. Slow. Would you have any hesitancy in taking a booster shot? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I I think what if the federal government wants to step in and incentivize vaccines, they have to provide paid time off for employees if they have a reaction. Okay. Three paid days. Oh. You know, just give every worker up to three paid right. days. Yeah, some are going to abuse it and take a sure. mini vacation, but right. you know, I think that's a lot of worry. Is you know what. A lot of workers, how can they take time off of yeah. work to get the shot if they know that they're going to feel like crap for right. one day, maybe two? Right. right I didn't feel bad. Right, I just right. milked it with yeah. my wife. I, thought, <laughs> I feel terrible. I need to go to sleep. As you have you, the kids tonight. As you should. Let's get back to the recall uh, election. This is so fascinating to me. On the one hand, I, you know, I've been in California over 30 years. I'm looking at this state. I've, 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 I voted in every election since I've been here, and I'm saying this is impossible to recall a Democratic governor in this climate. And yet I look at the polls, and the po- it's narrowing. And as we said, when you, if you vote on the recall, you got to vote yes or no. Do you recall them? And then if you vote yes, then you get a whole list of people to vote. Does it surprise you that the numbers seem as close as, as they are? No. I, I think Newsom— What's hurting Newsom? Did he hurt himself? He hurt himself. I mean, if you look—the French Laundry was a while ago, but then, you know, his kind of double speak about masks and the shutdowns and the colored tier system where every week they change the criteria for where your county fell that harmed him and you know that didn't end that long ago that ended four five months ago right um and then you look recently you know he just can't keep shooting himself stop shooting himself in the foot recently his kids were at a summer camp unmasked 
where he's sitting there mandating, no, if you are, you know, school age, grade school age, you have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And his kids went to a summer camp unmasked, which, you know, okay, Mm -hmm. it happens because they didn't read the email. I mean, you know, you're the head of the fifth largest (laughs) economy in the world and you couldn't read the email. You have helpers and staffers Mm. to do this. So I I think this is largely self-inflicted and there's a lot of Democrat apathy towards Newsom. Okay. That's what that, that's where I wanted to go because we, we, you and I live in a, in a, a deep red area and we know everybody around here hates Newsom. That's no big deal. But I'm thinking you got it. He, he 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 would have to piss off a lot of Democrats to to and, and what are the issues that Dems are turning on him? Homelessness, um, you know, go to Santa Barbara, go to L.A., go to Pismo, just walk in downtown Bakersfield, yeah. and you know, you feel bad for the you feel bad for homeless individuals, but it's unpleasant sometimes and especially you know with potentially dangerous yeah with panhandlers coming up and you don't know what they have so the homeless issue um the economy you know being closed uh there was a report the other day smart asset 34 percent of small businesses in bakersfield shut down what 34 percent over over the what Over the, just from through? January of 2020 to April of 2021. Wow. That's John Cox wrote about it in the Californian. Um, it, it's it's massive. And so a lot of those small businesses in uh, Bakersfield would be like landscaping, yeah, nannies. Yeah, yeah. But, but those are jobs. Those, those are jobs. How people pay their rent and their mortgage. And so right? you have that. You have the Mm. fact that you can't find workers right now. And rightly or wrongly, Newsom is tied to that. You have the fact that, you know, you see other, um, watch any soccer game or football game and you see pack stands and you don't necessarily see those same pack stands from California. And, you know, people are tired of not being able to see friends and family, regardless of the risk. They were told once they got vaccinated, things would open up. Well, things did come roaring back for, what, a month? And now it's kind of going back into the shutdown. So I I think it really is apathy. So is he paying, is is Newsom paying the price for a lot of these well-intentioned democratic uh, sponsored pieces of legislation that have led to more crime, the decriminalization of heroin, the, the fact that you, I can walk into a Rite Aid and, and steal $900 worth of goods and it's it's a misdemeanor. Is he getting, is he bearing the blame for that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, What is it? Who, uh, that San Francisco DA, the head DA. Um, Gascon? Ga- or- no, not Gascon. It's... Um, not he, the one who moved went to LA. Not the one, okay. but um, the one who's like parents... Uh, killed uh, two security guards when they tried to rob an armored Brinks truck, grew up in New York City, and he, you know, basically came up on um, the really left-wing promises, decriminalize a lot of stuff. I think he's getting recalled. Wow. In San Francisco. In San Francisco That's where you look for trends. And that, and it really, and as you mentioned, the decriminalization of a lot of things. It's, I, you know, I understand 
I think we've criminalized a lot too much stuff. You know, if you yeah. look marijuana, um, those sorts of things. Um, should we put people in jail for like a lot of petty theft stuff? I don't know. I don't, you know, we're, we don't do a good job with our criminal justice system, but decriminalizing obviously hasn't worked. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think a lot of the left wing policies where if you're in Sacramento, you see some of these bills coming out, uh, you know, ban fracking by 2024. Okay. You know, okay, well, I can, right. I can maybe, I can maybe make an argument about that, but then base it on the wrong numbers. Where only two percent of California oil is fracked. No, it's actually close to a third. But you know, hey, right. okay, slight rounding error, I guess. <laughs> but then all of just these, you know, turning Uber drivers into contract right. workers—that's now being sued. You know, so I, I think. What we're seeing at the national stage, you know, where the moderate Democrats are fighting with the left-wing Democrats, you're seeing to a much larger extent in California where it's the left-wing Democrats that run the state. And a lot of people are sick and tired of some of these things. Mm. We don't, you know, universal health care, uh, jobs for all, you know, environmental justice. Great. How are we going to pay for them? Yeah. What's it going to do to the middle class right. and why are we having to pay for them? Right. And so, um, you know, Newsom has not done a good job reining in that really left wing part of the party. I'll give Governor Brown credit. He did a good job reining in some of the crazy he did. left. I always said that, that the right was going to miss Jerry Brown when he left. And, you know, you know I, I had been hoping when Newsom got elected that he would be more in the Jerry Brown mold. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Kamala Harris, she was kind of very left wing in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of moderated as she realizes that that's not a winning position at the national level. Yeah, right. And I think what we're seeing is we're watching Gavin Newsom's presidential aspirations evaporate. Wow. Excellent. What do you think of, uh, uh, th this recall election we all focus on the first part of it. You know, are we mad enough to kick him out of office? And, yeah, there's a lot of noise about someone's Larry Elder was in town yesterday and, and people like that. But there's less attention to, on, on, uh, uh, on the follow-up question. Okay, what do you do, right? Where do we, you know, what? And, and there's, I don't know how many names are on the ballot. 46 now. 46, you know. How, if you are running for, uh, for governor, hoping that he's going to be, you know, uh, recalled, how do you stand out in a crowd like that? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I, I know a lot of the Republican candidates complained when Newsom signed into law uh, the bill that shortened the time before the recall election that made yeah. it in September rather than November. I think that works for the Republicans. Um, That's it, what they're saying, that it backfired on them. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't, Republicans don't have to craft strategy. You know, they, they just have to come up with catchy sound bites. Yeah. And you see, that's what John Cox tried to do, you know, lugging around the thousand pound bear and the eight foot tall ball of trash. But yeah. since 2018, he hasn't had a policy. You know, it's just yeah. business is good, tax is bad. Yeah, right. And right, so right. I think if we were in a normal election, you'd probably see some of the weaknesses of the Republican candidates. I don't think they have any policies. I don't think they know how to craft policies. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Larry Elder, smart dude. 
he ha- he's never been in government. Right. And that always worries me a little bit because sure. running a state is an incredibly complex job. Mm. So I, I think the Republican that pulls themselves away from the pack either gets the nomination from the state GOP. I don't think they're going to touch that with a 10 foot pole or the one who comes up with the catchier slogans. And so far that seems to be Larry Elder in part because he has a pretty widely followed radio show where people are used to him. Instant name recognition, name recognition. That's what matters right now. You know, I personally would like to see Kevin Faulkner a little bit more on him, but Then it came out that he's, you know, doing shady side deals for condos and apartments and office buildings in San Diego. And it's like, oh, okay, so you're just the typical politician that, you know, griffs your way through the system. Okay. There is so much for him. I I, I don't want to let this time go without bringing up these mandatory evictions uh, and where we are with that. And as an economist, I would ask you, when you you go through a period— and once again, I think this is well-meaning legislation. You had a lot of people through no fault of their own, through this black swan event known as the pandemic, find themselves out of work. I mean, it, it, not their fault, right? I understand the intervention. People would argue now that has it gone on too long? And is this just a convenient way to punish the landlords? Or and not everybody who owns a rental unit is a millionaire. You get a lot of small investors. We have a ton of them in this town. People have a little rental unit, or you know, to kind of supplement their their income. Where what does this mean for the economy when all of these people, when landlords, when the date comes and it, and it is coming, when they're going to say, "I got to get paid. You either pay me or you're out." Yeah, it's um, I I think. Uh, 75% of landlords own three or fewer units. So right? most are sm- very small landlords. Okay. Um, so, you know, they did the rollout where they would help pay rent based on a number of conditions. You know, have you been impacted by the pandemic? Have you tried to pay at least 25% of your rent? Mm-hmm. But what, 15% of that federal and state money has ever been dispersed because either renters... I don't, I don't. I didn't understand that, why all that money is sitting there that hadn't been used. So, yeah, I think it's the same problems that are plaguing California's EDD right now. It's an onerous process to get through where you have to provide years worth of evidence and you know your average the average listener try finding the past three years of your tax returns in the next two months that would probably you know i'd have to dig through a lot of papers in my house to find where they are so if i ever get audited by the irs uh uh-oh um don't uh, don't audit me don't (laughs) don't borrow trouble yeah so I, i i think a big issue is it's just too hard and too cumbersome to go through the process. Um, I have no idea why we did, uh, we're starting to do it now. We didn't disperse the money directly to the landlords. You know, that, that would have helped. Landlords would have loved that. Right. Landlords would have jumped through 95 hoops to get a little bit of money. 
But I also think this speaks to some of the broader issues we see, at least in California and other parts of the country. Housing regulations and zoning regulations and all of these ordinances where we put so many damn restrictions Mm -hmm. on where you can build and what you can build. There's not enough apartments. Mm -hmm. I think the big fear with the eviction moratorium is there's no place for these people to turn. There's no free apartments in Bakersfield, essentially. There's no housing shortage. And that that homeless thing they can't find. Yeah. And that's going to be the issue is I think they are desperately trying to, wait out this housing shortage, this rental shortage. I think that's why you're you're seeing the eviction moratoriums extended because where are these people going to go? They can't find apartments. And so, you know, and that's one of my issues with some of the Republicans last night. The Republicans last night um, don't like the ordinance where you can build multifamily units in areas that are zoned for single family. Mm Mm-hmm. Why don't you want apartments in... Why wouldn't you want a mother-in-law a quarter? Yeah, yeah it right. makes no sense. Right. And so I get it's nimbyism and, you know... Mm-hmm. But you can build nice apartments next to the nice houses. Yeah. In fact, you know, building maybe Section 8 apartments in a nice area might actually raise the the niceness of those Section 8 houses. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that neighborhood effect yeah. where people might actually take a lot more care. So economically, I think they're. I think they are realizing that they've screwed up the all of these zoning regulations for decades, and they have no idea where people are actually going to go once they become evicted. And economically, yes. that's disastrous because and politically, that is oh, di- it, that it, is it's, dynamite. It's going to kill. how many times will you turn on CNN and they'll have you know. Here's here's so and so outside of Cincinnati who just lost her house and has nowhere to go. That you you, you know that's going to run for. What what uh, what was the latest number? I think seven million renters are in danger of eviction. Seven million renters. Wow. I don't know if I can find nationally seven million units. Yeah. And what happens? This is going to go on your credit history that you haven't been paying rent. So you're not going to get to go in the same tier of apartments that you've been living in. You're going to go down several tiers. Well, you know, it doesn't uh, with CEQA and now having to put solar panels on roofs. You really can't afford to build low income apartments anymore. Where are you going to put your capital? Yeah. And so... Where are these people going to go? And I think that's the economics of it is that we have nowhere for these people to go. And I think governors are like, oh, uh-oh. That's trouble. Uh, you know, look in, think about Missouri. You know, if there's one apartment in one of those rural towns and they get kicked out of it, where are you going to go? Yeah. You're going to couch surf among friends and family. Yeah. Missouri isn't a nice place to be homeless. It doesn't yeah. have great weather. Yeah. And so that's, you know... It's either going to be a lot of families going back to kind of those multi-generational family homes where you have grandparents, mm-hmm. parents, and kids living in it, or we are going to see a lot of people moving out of areas where there's no alternatives, and that's going to absolutely annihilate those local economies. You know, think about, um, I, I don't even know if there's an apartment complex in, let's say, Kernville, but say there's an apartment complex in Kernville, and it's the only apartment complex. What happens if they get kicked out? 
you know, they, yeah. they, right. go, they go to other areas. They, right. They're probably living in Kernville to work in Kernville. Right. Well, now Kernville doesn't have those workers. Right. Where are they going to find them? People right. from Bakersfield aren't going to want. So right. I think, you know, we're looking at an economic tsunami of just there's going to be a lot of angry people with nowhere to go. Where, how do you see, and we're about out of time, because I did. I, I wanted to get your take on how President Biden is doing, but this all wraps into it. Where do you, again, I started off this podcast with you saying everything just seems up in the air. And you get a president who, who is throwing a lot up against the wall. He... Uh, I will ask you, what do you, how do you think President Biden is doing? And and the elephant in the room is there are times when this man looks really old when he's addressing the country. Yeah, I mean, I I think probably the only area where he has a distinct advantage over the Trump presidency is you don't have to wake up every morning and wonder what was said yeah. on Twitter right. in the middle of the night, which which is something, which is yeah, something, right. but economically disastrous. Um, you know, again, the inflation that we're seeing isn't necessarily his fault, but it's going to be pinned on him. And he has there's been no policies to combat inflation. The Federal Reserve can't keep interest rates low. You have to raise interest rates. Yeah. But once you do that, you put a lot of mortgages underwater. Yeah. People are buying houses left right. and right, right at inflated prices, probably right. on adjustable, adjustable rate mortgages. rates. And that's going to so hello, housing bubble. Yeah. Um, so we're go- you know, the Biden presidency is probably going to be associated with a housing bubble. It's already associated with a rather tepid economic recovery. Yeah, I know the GDP grew 6.5%, I think. Mm-hmm. We were expecting over 8. Huh. So, I, yeah. I mean, you know, right. when you start, when you've been absolutely annihilated for four quarters, you should see massive growth. We're not yeah. seeing this massive growth. Um, we have worker shortages all over the place. And, you know, part of it is the unemployment benefits compensation. Part of it is people can't find childcare. Part of it is people are sick and tired of service sector jobs dealing with both the employers, but also the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, economically, you know, right now, President Biden's a one-term president. Wow. And I even putting aside the fact that you know, I would have a really hard time voting for a, he would be 82. Would that be his age in? Yeah. I would have a very hard time. And I know, you know, oh, ageism, whatever. 82 is really old for the stresses of that job. Arguably the toughest job in the world. Obama just turned 60 and Obama aged decades in office. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. You know, um, Clinton looks terrible. Yeah. And so it's, I, I see Biden as a one-term president. Um, Man. And I, I don't know who on, on the scale left. of one to 10, 10 being the, the best Biden at this point is a two or a three. Whoa. Okay. I would have put Trump at a two or a three, right. Obama four or a five. And you look back, the last president that I would consider a fiscal conservative would be the second Bush, his first year, and maybe Clinton occasionally. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I mean, like, 
I have a hard time kind of discerning politicians of different political parties nowadays. They all believe in big government. Isn't that they all believe in spending their way out of everything. Yeah. They all believe that the other side is completely and wholly wrong. Have we, has the country, have we, have we traded personality for platform? I mean, have we opted that, that we're more interested in somebody, you know, the, the attraction to Trump, the, uh, you know, he's the cult of Bernie, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, is, is it more about who they are, how we, how we, how we perceive them than their actual policies? Because as you say, a lot of the policies are, you, you can't distinguish between them. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's that person talks like me or that person. That's how I would act if I were there. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of voters see, you know, a lot of, you know, God bless social media for allowing us to connect with long lost friends. But social media is one of the worst things to possibly happen to us. You know, all, all of those, it's just, you can get whatever information you want. It doesn't have to be true or not. So I don't think platforms matter as much. Interesting. I I think it really is. Who do I connect with? That's kind of where we are in this social media age. Who do I connect with? Trump, Nailed it. I, that, and that's yeah. one thing I'll give Republicans credit for. From Oliver Stone to Steve Bannon yeah, right. to Karl Rove, they know how to play that. Yeah. They are so far ahead of the Democrats yeah. right now. Right. You know, Bernie kind of tapped into that, but Bernie's old. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, you know. It's powerful. Why, I yeah. think why DeSantis and Abbott outside of Trump are leading in 2024. And I don't see a viable Democratic candidate right now. Oh, that's awesome. Richard Gerhardt, professor at CSUB, economics professor. Always great to have you on, sir. I'm going to get you back. Absolutely. All right, this we're going to be blast. following this puppy as we go on. You know, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, okay. Uh, Mr. Flores is, is here with me. And uh, next week, we'll, we'll return with episode number 11. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting.